Hello, hello, it's your girl Lo, your host of the You Had Me at Yellow podcast. The podcast where Asian Americans can come and air it all out. In this episode, I have my lovely guest, Tiffany Soga, and she's here to air it all out on microaggressions. Now, if you don't know what microaggressions are, they are, by definition, brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults towards people of color. So, my favorite one that I get all the time is, what are you? Um, Another one is, no, where are you really from? Or it might be, oh, you don't act like a black person. Things like that. So, we talk about microaggressions that she has come across that I have come across Um, we talk about her journey as a writer and activist what are ways that we respond to microaggressions and how do we educate others on how to avoid making them so without further ado here's my episode on microaggressions with Tiffany Soga okay so why don't you do like (laughs) a, a little intro to like who you are and tell us like what you're into Yeah, um, so my name is Tiffany Soga. I grew up just outside of LA in a little city called Arcadia, but Mm -hmm. I moved away for about seven years. So I just moved back before Christmas. This is the first time I've been home. Um, But at the moment I work in social media marketing for film and entertainment, which is a lot of fun. Uh, But for the last few years, I've actually been an academic. So it's been an interesting transition back. Um, so I'm getting back into my Asian American roots, coming back to Southern California, getting back into activist roots, which is really fun. That's fun. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. It's been an interesting transition. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So what um, what led you to your journey to becoming an, a writer? And then like, well, how did you get into like activism? I think that's a it's a loaded question. I sure. <laughs> yeah, that's always, I feel like it's always a hard one. I think there were so many little signs growing up, but mm-hmm. it really didn't come to full speed. I think until the last four years, um, I was an English major, and I specifically studied British literature, um, and I really liked writing about um, oppressive narratives, and for the most part, I was writing about women and children's voices that were often neglected in literature. Mm -hmm. Um, For my uh, master's, I focused specifically on children and uh, teenagers. And then I guess when I got to my post-grad, I eventually got into a PhD program at King's College London. Mm -hmm. And I was writing very emphatically um, about children during uh, World War II and the London Blitz who weren't being represented in literature. And my department didn't like that. Um, it's not so much they didn't like that, but it was more so that they didn't think it was urgent. Mm-hmm. And the more they were telling me that, the more upset I got, and I think it reflected in my writing. So I eventually walked away from academia because, at least at the institution that I was at, it was really clear that those types of narratives weren't as valued. Mm-hmm. And I really hated that. And moving home, I had an opportunity to write for an online publication. Um, And so I started doing more digging into my Asian American identity, having been so removed from it. Mm -hmm. And I've always had stories about microaggressions, which I'm guessing we'll get into later. But 
it ended up being a really good outlet for me to actually put them down in words. And these are conversations I feel like a lot of Asian American friends and I have had daily, Yeah. but we've never written about it. It's mm. never been something concrete. And so it was really cool transitioning and being able to put those conversations that were clearly screwing with a lot of us mm-hmm. and actually giving it a place to be presented and then to circulate that for our readership. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the activism, I've always been an activist. I remember um, going to protests. I remember when Prop 8, which was the um, anti-gay mm-hmm. marriage in uh, California, mm-hmm. I remember going to um, protests for that and getting in debates at school. But I think it came full force the last few years. Awesome. Yeah. So you said you were sort of like removed. So what was it like from uh, growing up as Asian American? It was it was interesting. I think looking back, um, it could have been a lot worse. I live in Southern California, and there is mm-hmm. obviously a really large Asian population, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I did grow up in a city that was predominantly Asian, so we were actually nicknamed Arcasia by oh. a lot of rivals mm-hmm. for Arcadia. Um, and there were two there were two kinds of I guess quote unquote Asians um, at our school. It was the ones who were um, who spoke predominantly Chinese all the time um, who were very much in the like Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious culture I see uh, and then we had the ones whose parents always told us to assimilate, assimilate, assimilate mm-hmm. um, and so I definitely fell in the latter category and that was never really an issue growing up but when I left California mm-hmm. I think that's the first time that I felt really Asian and that my um, Americanness was called into question. I see. Like yeah. how so? Um, so in that, in, I wrote this article um, and I opened it with my first shocked experience of dealing with a microaggression, but I was at college and uh, it was my first month they were throwing a barbecue mm-hmm. and it was really fun. I was chatting with a lot of people and for some reason this young male, blonde hair, blue eyes, walked straight up to me and said, oh, what are you? Mm -hmm. And I think you get that question from time to time in Southern California. It doesn't really egg at you. But so I said, okay, well, I'm I'm Taiwanese Japanese. And he said, ah, Japanese. Yeah. So Pearl Harbor then. Wow. And I think that was the first time it really shocked me. And it surprised me that people weren't as well versed in how to deal with other ethnicities mm-hmm. so how did and you then, react yeah I, well I think because that was my first dose I kind of I stared at him in shock and I remember saying um no yeah and then I awkwardly backed away right that is and, like, so awkward into a crowd. yeah no it was it, I think it was just it was it's like I said it was sheer shock and mm-hmm. then over time in Boston it just started happening more and more like mm-hmm. this woman called me Mulan once Wow. Um, whenever I was walking down the streets in Boston like when your cat called I would get a lot of ni hao china princess I see damn um, and I think it, in the beginning it didn't bother me that much because I mm-hmm. just thought it was silly but when it happens every day it kind of chips away at you yeah and again I think that's where the activism started to rise was it was unfair and it was un you know, it just didn't make any sense why people were speaking outwardly so ignorantly. Right. Um, so it took me a while to curb that anger, I guess. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So are you, 
Are you saying that you, do you think that you experienced more microaggressions when you moved to the East Coast? I think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think Southern California is lovely in that it's just this really nice bubble. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who haven't really left. They, you know, got to stay here for school and got to be around family and our similar communities. And when I talked to them about, you know, me being upset that some man came up to me and said, ni hao, they didn't really understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, again, it's like I said, when you leave somewhere that isn't as welcoming of your community as you're accustomed to, it starts to chip away at you. And so I definitely felt more, I felt more aliened and othered, um, in the East coast, which was just my perspective and Mm -hmm. my experience. Um, but I did have another friend who also moved from NorCal, over to Boston. We went to undergrad together and she had vocalized the same feelings. And I'm I'm not quite sure why that was. We went to Boston University. There's a pretty diverse mm-hmm. um there was pretty big spectrum of diversity there. And so it was just it was very weird. I think mm-hmm. coming from Southern California it was an odd experience. A good one, but odd. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm from New York and I've gotten a few things, but the thing mm-hmm. with me is that I'm Filipino so I don't necessarily look I guess quote unquote Asian so like what people mm. consider like East Asian mm-hmm, so right. I, I haven't really gotten the like right off the bat kind of like um, I guess art of like superficial sort of yeah, microaggressions yeah. but I've gotten yeah. stuff like I've gotten stuff where it's like oh you're Filipino so you're basically Spanish it's like wait what? Uh, yeah and I remember yeah. Yeah, yeah like the earliest thing I can remember is I think I must have been like five or six and this guy in my building just was asking me what kind of Spanish I was and was like listing every single type of Spanish there is and there's like a ton and Uh was just like like listing every country and I'm like and I'm for sure was like I definitely am not any of these things so he asked me every country I was like no 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 No. (laughs) and he thought I was like messing with him and I finally told him I'm Filipino and and in a way it was just like he shrugged it off and was like, nah, she can't be. So that was the first time. I where hate I was, that. Yeah, it was the I'm first sorry. time where I had to just be like, no, this is who I am. You know? Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm so, I'm always so sorry when I hear stories like that because yeah. it, like, it sucks. It does. I think the nice thing about New York, and I experienced this a bit in London too, is that mm-hmm. when you're in a city as big as New York mm-hmm. or London, I think they're used to transplants and they're used to yes. diversity yeah. a lot more. So it's not as, obviously it does exist, right. um, but it's not as, it's not as openly ignorant. I think it's more, there's more curiosity there as yeah. in like, where, where did you, how did you get to New York? As opposed to, I think what I felt mm-hmm. in Boston, which was just, oh, you are not American. Yeah, the thing you that I would be. say, yeah, for sure. I definitely get that. I feel like the racism in New York is definitely a there but it's Mm -hmm. not so like readily apparent as like maybe you would get in the south or something like that right right where where it's kind of just like ingrained in the culture and kind of like exactly like they're very outspoken about it but i will say on new york racism is a little bit more understated so it's more in like how people treat you rather than rather than like i'm gonna point this out and say it to your face you know i mean there have been there have been cases i will say like especially after 9-11 Um, I remember there was a ton of like racism against like people, you know, who are Muslim or like, or 
maybe not even Muslim, but just like war turbans, just like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. generalizing that whole community, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, so what was it like growing up for you in New York? Because you, you, so you're yeah. born born and bred in new york yeah exactly so i was so what was that like queens well it was it was great because like queens i would say is it's the biggest borough so like new york city is made of five boroughs like including Mm -hmm. manhattan and all that stuff brooklyn but queens Mm -hmm. is the biggest one so you you kind of get like a, a ton of immigrants all over the place so yeah like i grew up in jamaica where there was a lot of like west indian black people um Mm -hmm. guyanese people things like that but then also Mm -hmm. a ton of filipinos and spanish people Mm -hmm. and then i moved to bayside that's more of like the east asian community than like Mm -hmm. some eastern european so like Uh Russian people and all that kind of stuff so i was surrounded by always always surrounded by people of color Mm -hmm. but but yeah, I remember after nine eleven, that's the first time I saw some like straight up blatant racism Jeez. against people of color, especially like I was saying. So like, there, I remember there was this kid. I think I was like in eighth grade. There was this Jeez. kid who wore a turban. He was just like a really sweet kid or whatever. And mm. this this kid just like beat him up. Just just of the soul, the soul. Yeah reason which was that he wore a turban and i just i was just so like shocked i guess yeah that like it was deduced to just that and he was generalized and like put in the same category as these people that like are straight up terrorists like this kid was right he was the kind of kid that would like joke around all the time so just to see that it just really like opened my eyes to like damn so when do you think you um, sort of got really into activism? How do you think that that, do you think that that memory kind of affected it? I think affected that, you? that memory definitely affected it. I would say maybe in college. Because mm-hmm. that's when, I feel like college is when you start trying to, you know. Find, find yourself. Yeah, you find yourself. You find, <laughs> you find your tribe. You find like yeah, yeah, who yeah. you want to be around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like there's a ton in New York, like a bunch of activists um groups and stuff so i i mm-hmm. found myself among like the filipino type ones yeah the ones that are more like um i guess they're more about like the civic engagement and like the mm-hmm. the canvassing and the and the protests and we just show up here and do that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. that was my first sort of introduction to it Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I sort of realized that like the, all that stuff is great but i don't know if that's the type of activism that i'm into you know mm-hmm. right, I, right, right. I felt like i was kind of finding it more on like the social platforms because yeah because that way you reach a ton of people but like mm-hmm. you, you still get to be an introvert do you get what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i get it I, get, I totally get it it's exhausting but in a very different kind of way yeah so I, <laughs> yeah like i created yellow ranger because i was looking for something like it right and then once I created, I was like, "Holy crap! There's a whole bunch of other people who are doing this. I don't know how yeah. come I how I didn't stumble across it until now." Yeah. So it's that's like, kind of the beauty of social media, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But there's also, you know, the trolls. Absolutely. Oh, so, that's a given. Yeah. Because when I started, it was September 2016. Mm-hmm. So everything. Oh, wow, okay. Interesting time. Right. That was a very interesting period, Super yeah. Super interesting period, especially, you know, with the election and, like, all that kind of stuff. And right. I literally just started, and I was getting a ton of racist stuff happening. Jesus, yeah, I could imagine. 
a ton of people following me, you know, like blatant Trump supporters, things like that. And mm-hmm. also, really weirdly, I was getting like Trump supporters, but then we're really into Asian girls. Oh, there's this whole, um, I guess, I think the New York Times wrote an article about the alt right and their weird Asian fetish. Exactly. Have you read that article? It's terrifying and fascinating. I should, but I definitely fell victim to that because, like, I don't have any. I didn't start really sharing who I was specifically mm-hmm. on Yellow Ranger until like recently. So they didn't know mm-hmm. like what I looked like or whatever, but they just assumed mm-hmm. what I was. And I was just getting all these messages and all this racist stuff. And I was just kind of like, dang, man, this is really what's going to happen when I'm just trying to post about our culture. Like I'm just trying right. to share about, I'm just trying to share like news and culture with other people like me or who grew up like me it's like damn right this is what i'm gonna come across you know yeah yeah so i i was really trying to like that's fascinating mm-hmm. to tell yeah to kind of mediate that well i know with with brexit when brexit happened there was an increase in violence and outright you know racist speech and everything and same thing with specifically for asians um Trump obviously went after a bunch of minorities, but his whole anti-China campaign did Mm. not do well for anyone in the Asian community. As pan-ethnic as we are, if we looked remotely Asian, Mm -hmm. there was such backlash. And I I can't imagine starting a blog and writing about this kind of stuff during that time and the amount of craziness you must have received. Yeah, I was getting a bunch of stuff. Just like people messaging me and following me that you know, I had no interaction with and just, you know, right. just telling me, you know, all t- outside of his stuff, like, go, chink, Jesus. just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, like, rem- you- remember, like, specific stuff. I just remember it was just a lot. Do you remember, does it, do you feel like it's tempered a little bit? How now that mean? we're two years, um, like, do you oh, think it's it definitely a died down. It definitely died down. Like, okay. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> But today I even got something. I put I put it on my story, but it was just this dude who just started following me, and he sent me this picture mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. I guess glad bags, like someone had photoshopped it, and mm-hmm. it's like these black garbage bags that are burkas. And he was like, "Interesting." Here, let me let me let me pull up what he said because I want to see exactly what he put. So he sent me this picture, and I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. He goes, I got something when your Muslim overlords come. And it says plastic burkas. Yeah. And I'm like, what? How do you how do you deal with this? In the beginning, I can't lie. I, I kind of got discouraged. I was like, damn, is this really what I want to do? Like, right. I, how do I deal with it? You know, because when they're saying these things to you, even if they don't know you, it affects you. You got, you got right, what I'm absolutely. saying? So I yeah. kind of got a taste of like what celebrities go through. Not to say like, you know, that I'm like this huge whatever, but I got a taste of it. And but it's you like, have a platform. Yeah. Right. Like, and to get these, it, I had to kind of separate it. I had to kind of just say, they're not saying it to me, Lauren Espejo. They're saying it to who they think 
I am. You know what I mean? And what you I stand right. for. Exactly. And that part, that what they think I stand for, or what they believe I am, that's what they're so against. This, like, idea. Right. So I had to separate it. Mm-hmm. I had to say, they're not saying it to you. They don't even know who you are. Mm-hmm. And then I also had to yeah. kind of just be like, they... You know what? It's, it's sad, but it's like, they don't know any better. Like, this is... Imagine, like... Because yeah. I feel like when you're like that, it's either you grew up like that, so that's all you know, or something no, happened, yeah. or something happened, right. and you just totally switched your ideals. You get what I'm saying? So... Right. This, yeah, kind, yeah. this kind of, like, ra- like, inherent racism, I feel like, is taught. So... Mm-hmm. I have to think of it that way, because... I know it's a choice, like to to stay that way, but mm-hmm. the same way that we have our traditions and our ideals, like this is what they think that is, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So I guess you had you had posed a question um, in the email, but mm-hmm. what would your advice? What would your advice be for people who are either dealing with the kind, the same kind of callouts on social media, or mm-hmm. if they were to have it in person? How do you handle these situations typically? I would say. It depends on what it is. Like, I I would say pick your battles. Because in the beginning, I was Mm -hmm. answering all of them, you know. That's exhausting. And trying to, yeah, exactly. And trying to. And not your job, not your responsibility. At all. No. I had to to really learn, like, you don't have to take it on. Like, literally. Yeah. Like, all all their racist, like, beliefs. And you literally don't have to take this on and be like, okay. I have to fix this person because guess what? You can't. So when I realized that, I kind of, yeah. I stepped back from answering and just, just started blocking. You know what I mean? But yeah. that's what I would say is just like, you don't have to take it on. And just, yeah. just remember that. Like, I really just had to remember why I, my why, you know, like, right. If I want to continue doing this, why did I start to begin with? Why did I think it was so important? So mm-hmm. just remember why you're even defending your point in the big in the first place and just mm-hmm. focus on that and focus on the positive mm-hmm. things that you can do to make mm-hmm. that happen instead of like the haters basically yeah. yeah i think that's 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 really good advice i had um i had a best friend in high school and this was my die hard hands down like best friend in the world mm-hmm. and i had to block him on social media and terminate our friendship uh, last month mhm um, because he did say once in high school, and it's a memory that only comes back to me now because it didn't stick out as wildly inappropriate back then. Right. But he did call me a Jap in high school. Interesting. Just once. And I remember being offended and being really upset and trying mm-hmm. to educate him on why that was not appropriate. Right. But it never riled me. And then over the last few years, there were conversations. He would um, direct message me. Every single time I wrote something remotely, um, anything that touched on feminism. One time we had a discussion about rape culture because he didn't quite understand that it existed. Um, we had a conversation mm. about mm-hmm, we had a conversation about how I was getting a lot of backlash um, when I was living in Boston about me. I think it was the article and the way that I phrased how ignorant white America response to Asians and how it's not appropriate. And at one point he just said that I was racist towards all white people. 
Right. They try to like it turn was, it back on you. Yeah, yeah. It's always about you. And it doesn't matter. I think this is my advice is with, with people like that, especially when they're in your immediate circle, I spent three years trying to educate my so-called best friend. I would send him research reports. I would send him statistics, anything by any Ivy League school that was published. And yeah. with some people, they just don't care. And it's not your job to have to educate them. You've done your part. Exactly. You've tried. And if they can't get the message, then cut that toxicity out of your life. Because that's not, it's not worth it. It's your why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. I had to learn. And it's like, it sucks that you that you had to like cut that person off. But I, I learned a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, it was even like, I noticed that there were some supporters like, really in my circle. And I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It really makes you yeah, it was think, a you know. Frightening time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And what I had to what I had to learn too is that part of you know a big part of why I wanted to have this podcast is to have that platform be, and to have open conversations. So if I did come across someone who was on the other side, like mm-hmm. I really honestly just want to be like, why? Like, why mm-hmm. do you? What do you believe? Um, is good about our mm-hmm. current administration you know what i mean or mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. what did you believe when you voted for him mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. there are some people who did vote for him and then realize realized straight after like oh shoot like i shouldn't have done that you know what i mean like you always right, hear those right. stories yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. i want to know both like people who are still supportive of him people who maybe learned yeah kind of why it's problematic but i just would love to just learn and because i feel like that way that way we're not like pinning each other you know we're not like pinned against each other and then right right automatically like making each other the enemy i think that's the healthiest mentality for activists to have yeah i think it's great obviously it's amazing that we have our cause but and Mm -hmm. you you hear everyone saying it these days that you really need to take the time to listen to people with opposing views unless they're being Mm -hmm. incredibly aggressive and clearly not listening agreed or they don't want to listen exactly they don't want to doesn't matter how many research papers you shove in their face right i think it's just trying to have conversations with people and you know, the difference between calling in and calling out, just exercising patience when you're trying to understand where yeah. someone else is coming from and trying to get them to understand mm-hmm. your personal narrative, where you're coming from as well. I think that's what yields the most productive conversations. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I would say, like, a big part of it is, yeah, like you said, patience. Mm-hmm. And just, like... Okay, if this person is legit trying to have a conversation with me, I have to give them the same respect that they're giving me, you know? Right, right, right. And Yeah. Yeah, I feel like also just giving each other a chance to to mm-hmm. sort of explain mm-hmm. the situation. Because I feel like lately it's, it's just been a lot of like, you did like tit for tat type things. Like, you guys yes. did this. We, we want this. And this is why this is wrong. It should be more like... Okay, what's the solution, though? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're in a very, as millennials, we're in a very interesting Mm -hmm. social revolution because we have so much to say. We have such big platforms now with social media to say it. Mm -hmm. I think the conversation's just been 
I think we've always had these conversations, but they're yes. really publicized now, and it's they're really everywhere amplified. now. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely amplified. Yeah, and we just have the thing is that we just have access to so much information, like mm-hmm. at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like when you have access to all this information, it's like how do you disseminate it, and how do you sort of like funnel it mm-hmm. into like you know. For you know, for like a better term, like the fake news and the real news. Yeah, right, yeah. right, yeah. So I think that's what's going on. Like so yeah. much of our country watches ridiculous news sources, you know, mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. like just blatant trust in like the press. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to a fault, you know. Yeah, I think too. There's a there's a book that my boss actually handed me to read. It's called Trust Me, I'm Lying. By mm-hmm. Ryan Holiday, it's fascinating. I'm not finished with it yet, but I think it. It I he handed me the version that was revised just after the election. Right. Oh um, wow. It's an interesting read. I think if you want to have a go at it, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it does talk about how the media really has shifted, and that blogs are a big part of that shift. Yeah, and I that agree. Anyone can control the news and the headlines these days, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's frightening. It's very frightening. That you have so many people who just click one link and rely on just that as a source as mm-hmm. opposed to diving in. It's one of the things that I, do, I did love about academia was that you were kind of forced to look at several sources to back your claims. Totally. Um, I do encourage, I definitely encourage people to do that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a good, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So I guess like, I did want to touch, I love Mm -hmm. that you, because you were saying how you really found your community in Mm -hmm. college. And I I love that. And I felt like I didn't, I personally didn't really get that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think obviously because I studied British literature and Shakespeare Mm -hmm. specifically, Mm -hmm. there weren't many Asians in the English department um, Ah. at all. I was noticeably the only Asian in my classes to the point where if I was ever absent from class or if I ever skipped a lecture, (laughs) it was very noticeable. I did have a professor once email me to ask me if I was okay. Oh, wow. Um, And I was a little offended because I had another friend who always missed class and she never received an email. Damn. (laughs) But I... I feel like I experienced something similar too. There wasn't a ton of Asians in my program mm -hmm. either. Um, I mean, there definitely were, but... Yeah. What did you study? Uh, graphic design. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So I still nice. I still do it, but that's sort of my like nine to five. But yeah. But yeah, like I, I just yeah, there wasn't there was diversity for sure, but there was a small I would say a small amount of Asians too. Mm. Yeah, I think that was my I think because my my community was the English department really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was, I've always really been the only person of color in my friend group from Mm -hmm. college onward. Um, and I think that played a really big part in me trying to find my Asian American identity, especially when I moved to the, when I moved to Boston, it was more so why is everyone calling out the fact that I'm Asian? And then why is everyone assuming that I can't be an English major and I must be a maths major? That didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to the UK, it was amazing because a lot of my friends only identified me as their American friend and not their Asian American friend. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really interesting period where I was 
I kept thinking to myself, like, what is it about me that is Asian? Do I act Asian? Why is it an issue if I were to act quote unquote Asian? And the more I got into that kind of headspace, the more I started trying to dive into the whole Asian American narrative and starting to talk to the few Asian American friends that I do have um, about it. And that was the nice thing about moving back to L.A. is that there's such a big community here and I'm Mm -hmm. able to re-educate myself on this um, piece of community that I think I've been quite estranged from Mm -hmm. for the last few years. And it's been really nice having conversations like this where I get to, I don't have to hide my Asian half. I don't have to play any of that down. Mm -hmm. If my Chinglish pops up a little, Mm -hmm. it's not embarrassing or anything yeah totally um yeah i think that's that's i'm really happy that you had that college experience where you got to if i could redo college again i think i would have tried to find a little bit more of a community like me gotcha so so yeah like how was it when you went to the uk like did you experience any microaggressions there as well it was weird actually um it i i did but it had less to do with me being Asian and more to do with me being American. Mm. Um, So that was really interesting in that when I was in the UK, especially when I was in the English department um, at my university, it was a lot of, oh, she's the American. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I got a lot of people looking down on me because of it. Gotcha. And then the, I don't think people took as much, again, I think because we talked about how London and New York are very similar in that yeah. You're used to transplants. Uh, people tend to be more welcoming. The ignorance isn't as obvious. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it as much. I, weirdly enough, did get it from other people of color. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. I lived in a predominantly Muslim community. Um, and I did have a gentleman repeatedly harass me and ask me what kind of Asian I was and guess which country I was from. Oh, yeah. And I would speak to him very clearly in English. I was writing and I had like six textbooks in front of me. And he refused to believe that I spoke English. So he would say hello in any Asian language he oh. could recall. Um, but I didn't get it as much from from non-people of color. Um, I, I think there were... Sometimes I got it from little kids. I would like, I remember a, a little boy walked by me and said, Ni hao! And mm-hmm. I remember seeing his mom pull him aside a little. Uh, okay. So I appreciated, I appreciated that. Um, but I think... It was, again, it was more about me being American than it was Asian. I definitely felt more, I definitely felt more American when I was in the UK, Mm -hmm. which was sad in saying that I didn't feel American in Boston because everyone kept assuming I was a foreign exchange student. Ah, so what would you say, like, is the sort of, like, how do you think, people from the uk view americans my my boyfriend put it really wonderfully in that given our current administration Mm -hmm. he said that he thinks that the rest of the world watches us like we watch the kardashians wow and i have to say even in the academic circles um People were very respectful because I was a fellow academic. So there was a level of, okay, she's educated. Mm -hmm. Um, She's not ignorant. But for the most part, I think people tend to laugh at America, which is really, really sad. I don't, I didn't feel this way back when I first studied abroad in London in 2012. Um, But definitely from 2016 onward, 
it felt exacerbated where people were like, oh, you're American. I always felt the, I always felt held to apologize Mm -hmm. when people realized that I was American because of who our president was. And it was really sad. I remember actually, if I think about it clearly, I remember getting a little bit more of the Asian microaggression pre 2016, like when I went to study in 2012, Mm -hmm. but post it was more, American microaggressions, which is really odd. Mm. Um, I, again, I think it, I felt my most patriotic self in the UK because I was trying to defend the great things about America and what I loved about being an American, despite our current leader. Mm-hmm. And I spent more time doing that than trying to defend my Asian Americanness. Gotcha. So it's been a very interesting experience Mm -hmm. i think it's one of the great things about leaving home and again like the bubble of southern california having lived in boston and experiencing the racial microaggressions i got there and then moving to the uk and feeling the i guess national microaggression i don't know how we would phrase that Mm, gotcha but yeah yeah it was it was very interesting hmm yeah it was odd yeah i never had that experience like just to be seen as just American. Mm-hmm. Which That's, is sad, isn't it? Yeah, that is so fascinating to me. I never, I think it never occurred to me until I moved to the UK and I thought, this is the first time my friends have referred to me as their American friend and not their Asian friend. That's so crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, wow. it, is, it puts things in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just to sort of like wrap up, like how do you think like what's the next step? Like how do you, how can we educate others on how to avoid microaggressions but at the same time like what's an what's some sort of hope we can give our community? I think it's like you said, pick your battles. Yeah. Um but when I do get a lot of people who like for example, you get a lot of people who say what are you? And most of the time it's just innocent it's actual curiosity. And I usually say something like, "Oh, if you're asking me about my ethnicity, then it's actually X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, that's the wrong way of asking. It depends on the person and how they're going to receive it. Mm-hmm. I think patience and explaining to a person why their statement is actually ignorant or can come across as offensive to other people in your community is a really good step. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to give them metaphors or similar experiences to see if they can relate helps humanize which I don't know if it's the right word, but helps them empathize a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think then, of course, there are also the people who are dangerous and so and very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And if you've tried to say your piece, just walk away. But the more conversations we have like this, the more podcasts like this that there are, the more that we try to reach out to other people who might not be in the know. Mm-hmm. It's those little things. It's a ripple effect. It's those little mentalities that we start to change that I think will ultimately make a greater contribution it's not an easy fix it's not a quick fix no it's not i think you're right i think it is just more just having more um open dialogues and just continuing mm-hmm. the conversation like the more people know about it and the more we do call out people and like correct mm-hmm. them i think that's how we can find some sort of middle ground I wonder if you would, are you interested in bringing on people onto your podcast who do have opposing views from you? Yeah, honestly, I would. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. It's just like, how do you word that? You know, (laughs) I have to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just putting a call 
to action and saying, you know, I'm looking for people who do have sort of the conservative mentality, but are mm-hmm. open to having mm-hmm. a honest, respectful conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. I think if you outline that specific, because you'll find there are a lot of people who, like you said, who are supporters, but are okay with having, who are interested in having these kinds of conversations, who want to... Mm-hmm get to know the opposing view as opposed to just attacking the opposing view. Yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's how I have to word it. It's just like open and like conservative and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And respectful. Just throw that word in there. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Totally. So thank you so much again. I feel like we touched on such like really great topics and like yeah all that kind of stuff i got to like learn a little bit too yeah i'm really excited it's not something i get to talk about very often so i'm really excited to be able to share some of that yeah Yeah, i'm glad that you know because that's the whole point is just to make that sort of like safe space where we can just like 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 there's just so many different voices in our community you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and they all deserve to be heard that was my convo with Tiffany Soga on microaggressions. I hope you enjoy it. And by now, if you don't know, I like to close out each episode with a self-care tip because mental health is key. Mental wellness is key and it's just as important as your physical well-being. So for this one, it's more of a self-love tip and it's basically to date yourself. Um, that might sound weird. You're like, "Lo, what are you talking about? Well, basically, dating yourself is treating yourself how you would treat someone that you love or care about or that you're dating. So, spending time by yourself, going out to a restaurant by yourself, um, going to see a movie, dolo, all of that stuff um, is super important because... You're doing something that nourishes you and you're taking the time to be good alone, which is super important because at the end of the day, who do you have? You. So if you're not comfortable spending time alone, then what does that say? It means that you're not in tune with yourself, that you're uncomfortable with yourself. And what's the fun in that? So I do this all the time. I literally had a sushi day with myself last week which was amazing um it might feel weird at first you know asking for a table for one or buying that single ticket or you know but basically i'm here to say get over that because it's so much fun um you get to know yourself on a deeper level and you get to treat yourself so go ahead and go on that self-date and just enjoy life by yourself for a little bit and that's my self love tip for this week i hope you enjoyed this episode thank you so much to all my listeners you guys are great and keep being dope all right bye